Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. As always, my name is Darius Cook. I'll be your guide as we navigate the cosmos and mysteries of the world today. And if you're new here, guys, this is the show where once a week I come to you with whatever movie, show, television, whatever it is that I've seen this week. And we sit together and do a recap, review, discussion, breakdown of whatever that is. Last week, we did a three-part series on Squid Game, Netflix's hit show. So if you haven't already, go ahead and check that out, guys. All episodes will be posted at the time of this recording. And today, I've got a great episode for you. We are going to be talking about a Hulu original called Only Murders in the Building. I'm really excited to talk about this, guys, and I know that not a ton of people have seen this show yet, so... Uh, At the top of the episode, I'll be doing a non-spoiler, just first impressions of the series, and basically whether or not I think you should watch it. And then the rest of the episode is going to be a full, you know, recap discussion, breakdown. You know how we do it here, guys. So yeah, uh, of course, I really do appreciate any feedback you guys have at the end. I'll leave some information for you guys to reach out for me. And yeah, thank you for giving this a shot, guys, and I hope you enjoy. Cue the intro. Area show, area show, area show, area show, area show, show, Murders in the Building plays as a delightful yet quirky drama series that also doubles as a murder mystery. This is a new show that just hit Netflix just a few months ago, and it's starring Stephen Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. This is a star-studded cast, and this cast even gets fleshed out more with some other big celebrities that we'll see along the way here. But I really have to give credit just at the top here to Selena Gomez. Steve Martin and Martin Short, it's no mystery that these guys are legends, but Selena Gomez goes toe-to-toe with these gentlemen from episode one. So what is Only Murders in the Building? The overview of this show says that it's three strangers share an obsession with true crime and suddenly find themselves wrapped up in one. When a grisly death occurs inside their exclusive Upper West Side apartment building, the trio suspects murder and employs their precise knowledge on true crimes to investigate the truth. I really find the setup for this show truly interesting Uh, As the show opens, we're getting introductions of each of our three main characters. We're getting this in the way of the voiceover. Uh, Think Scrubs, JD, how he narrates his life. That's very much so how our characters get introduced. They actually use this tool of introduction and character, character study for almost every character that gets introduced throughout the show. Every time we meet a new character, the, the episode opens with their voiceover. So you get a little bit of intimate time to see what that character's perspective is. How is this player going to be a player in the game of this murder mystery? You know, quickly, we quickly learn that all these characters live in the same building and they all individually are reclusive characters. They're really to themselves for one reason or another. Uh, all those details we get revealed throughout the story as the plot unfolds. But not only are they all recluse, but they are all fans of a murder mystery podcast. This is one of those true crime shows. I'm sure everyone here has probably listened to a version of that. But, you know, I felt like that was very 2021. Uh, True crime is all the rage. Honestly, I don't get the wave too much personally, but everyone else in my life does. So 
I, I it was really funny to see how how everyone consumed the podcast in their own time. My favorite was the Brazos character really pouring himself a glass of red wine and sitting down and mapping it all out. It's when all of these characters' apartment building is evacuated that they all meet up at a local restaurant. Uh, they all happen to meet at a local restaurant, and they quickly bond over the fact that they realize they're all listening to the same podcast. I thought this was a cool moment because if you're like me and you listen to a lot of podcasts, actually finding someone who listens to the same podcast as you is pretty rare. Even if it's a larger podcast, there's just so many out there that it's it's really rare to run into somebody who happens to listen to the same one as you. And that excitement that comes with that, it's just super fun. And it is a, it's a great way to establish characters, find out that not only are they all into the same murder mystery podcast, but a murder has just occurred in their own building. This immediately sparks interest in them as being uh, murder mystery fanatics. So they take it upon themselves to go investigate it themselves. Uh, they go actually to the apartment and they notice keen details in in the murder here that imply that it wouldn't just be a suicide, that it was likely a homicide. And of course, this sparks their their desire to start a murder mystery podcast of their own. Uh, the reason the reason why each of these characters are interested in doing this type of podcast and uh, starting this little community differs for each one of the characters. And I do think that for Steve Martin's character, his motivation for joining this group is that he's mainly just a lonely old man and he's kind of looking for a connection anywhere he can get it. You can see that he's at a point in his life where he feels very monotonous and is looking for a new and exciting change and new friends along the way. For Martin Short, this is someone who is kind of dried up in terms of his career. He's always been uh, what, what seems like a hoity-toity uh, director. Uh, at this point in his career, he's actually running out of money. We see him quickly even ask his own son for money. Uh, so that that lets you know that he he really needs a win here. And this podcast is a, is a desperate attempt to reclaim some of his fame. And Selena Gomez, her her motivation for joining this crew is actually a little bit more selfish, I would say. Uh, she does have a connection with the two older gentlemen here. But I don't think that's why she necessarily wants to do the podcast. I think for her, it's uncovering the truth about someone who is really close in her life. Of course, we get those details revealed slowly throughout the series. but And I actually think that this is going to be a good jumping off point to switch to our spoiler discussion. So if you haven't seen the show, guys, uh, this is going to be your cue to exit. Real quick before you do, though, you guys should really give the show a watch. This is one of the most unique shows I've seen in a really long time. Hulu has a great piece of art to offer here. The show also utilizes surrealism in its approach to showing you where the character's mental state is. This is something that's used a lot in the first few episodes and then picks back up a little bit in the in the final act of the series. But they, they're moments that are a little bit ridiculous. They're definitely, uh, they take you out of the, the viewer perspective a little bit. But I think they work really well because the tone of the show is so quirky yet real uh it, it it finds a really nice balance where that's used to great effect the comedy here is amazing guys you're gonna fall in, le in love with these characters the same way i did and it just has an excellent cast that grows every episode so definitely give this a listen and the rest of our conversation is going to be filled with spoilers 
First things first here, guys, I really want to spend some time just talking about the chemistry of our main trio cast here. Uh, our main characters being Mabel, played by Selena Gomez, Oliver Putnam, played by Martin Short, and of course, uh, Charles Hayden, whatever his name is, played by Steve Martin. I'm just going to call him Brazos. All the characters in the show pretty much call him Brazos, so that's what I'm just going to stick to here. It's a little bit easier. But every time the three of these characters are on screen together, the energy that happens in these scenes is just electric. I mean, it is just joke for joke, beat for beat. It's, it doesn't stop. Selena Gomez's character is somewhat played as the straight man out of the, out of the trio. Oliver Putnam is the eccentric uh, ex-billionaire uh, by the looks of it, who is certainly the comedic relief at all times. But each character gets their turn at being the comedic relief, even though they do have their defined roles within the trio. Uh, they are constantly just playing off each other and setting up jokes for each other and dis dissing on each other. Uh, each character doesn't let each other get a moment to to be silly without calling them out on it. And it's clear that all three of them do just uh, have like an unrequited love for each other. Um it, it's just lovely to see. I, I even just have a, a big grin on my face. As weird as it is to say, uh, these characters bond uh, are so strong that we even see moments of jealousy between the three of them. Uh, specifically when Selena Gomez starts developing her relationship with the side character Oscar and when Brazos gets his love interest as well. You, you see the other two on the outskirts in this situation being a little bit jealous of their time. I just think that that was like a funny, cute little way to show that show their dynamic. I don't think that there's anything romantic between the three of them in any any means of the way at all. But anyone who's had a, a great new friendship understands that little bit of jealousy you can get when you see them having a connection with somebody else. Now that I've kind of covered our basis with our main trio cast members here, I want to go. I want to highlight a few actors and a few characters in the show that really popped. Uh, one thing that's really impressive about the show is that they're consistently building to the world that is the Arconium, which is the name of their apartment building. But we're, we're slowly getting introduced to characters literally in every episode, and we're learning their perspective. We're learning how they operate in this world, and each one has their own level of quirky charm to them. So I'll just go down the list here, guys. Tina Fey makes a, a large cameo here. Uh, I guess it's not a cameo. She is actually a recurring character, but... It is a small role. She plays like the resident uh, podcast expert in this world. Um, once I introduce her, she isn't really utilized much again to affect the plot in any major way. They do bring her character back in at the end of the series to kind of book end the end the plot and kind of set up what might be occurring moving forward. But she is so funny here, guys. I love seeing her as this shark that's like uh, everyone looks up to her and she's kind of cutting down our characters. Uh, the only thing that I wish I got more out of this character is just a little bit more relevance. Uh, she is really fun whenever she's on screen. I mean, it's impossible for Tina Fey to not uh, entertain me when she's on the screen. But I just wish that she was used just a little bit more in a big way. I don't feel like uh, her plots really affect the overall, the overall plot uh, very much. The next characters I really want to dive into here are the Dimas family. This is a father and son that live in the building as well. Uh, the father, who's played by Nathan Lane, Mr. Dimas, we'll call him, uh, he already has a previous relationship with our Oliver Putnam character. 
Um, and when he's first introduced, I really like how they play off of each other in terms of just these businessmen. Uh, D- Dimas turns, uh, as the show progresses, he turns more into a Sopranos, scary threat type character. He seems like the type that would definitely break your kneecaps over a debt that you owe to him. Um, and he, he becomes a very formidable foe, as well as his son, Theo Dimas, who this character is actually deaf, and they use that to great effect in their storytelling in episode seven, I believe it is. I'll go more into detail about that specific episode. But right now, I'm just I just want to discuss how they how they use these characters. And they, they're basically made to be a red herring big bad in the middle run of the series. <clears throat> Even though that the characters are revealed to be maybe not so bad as we thought, uh, they are still deplorable in some way. Uh, they were still the inciting incident for a lot of the snowball effect that happens later on. Now, this is going to be just one of very few critiques I have for this show, but I really wish that the these Dimas characters, they're, they're played up so heavily in the middle of the series, and I think that them as villains have so much energy to it. I do like the final twist that happens in the show and the big reveal at who's behind everything, but I just thought that these guys were so so enthralling as a potential threat for our characters that it's kind of disappointing to see them whimper out as just one of the mini bosses here uh i guess uh, to answer my critique if we get to see these characters again in season two i think that would be a great way to bring them back into the fold i think that they're super interesting i like that i like their father and son dynamic i think that it's very moving in the way that mr demas is actually you know we don't actually feel like he's too bad of a guy himself he just is going to do whatever it takes to protect his son and that does lead him to make some serious threats along the way. So that that is fair. Our characters basically falsely accuse him of murdering Tim Kono. And while they are still guilty of many other things, that just they just aren't guilty for that one specific inciting incident. I'm pretty sure that the characters find themselves, I'm pretty sure they're locked away uh, by the end of season one where we leave the characters. But we don't get any ramifications for uh, our main characters kind of coming at them. You know, Dimas, Dimas is saying, you know, do this or else. So we know that he has the capability and let's say the power to really come at them. But we don't see that happen. We don't see the repercussions of going after the Dimas family. That was like a threat that I feel like was set up that we don't get quite answered. There's even a moment uh, when we're talking to our police officer character and she says, oh, we're going after the Dimas family. This better be big. So... Uh, and then, of course, we go after them in that episode and we even take them down, but we don't get any repercussions. So I'm really hoping to see the DMS family come back in a big way in season two. Another character that I want to highlight is our Oscar character. This is someone who was falsely accused of murdering a friend of his way back when. I'm not exactly sure what the timeline looks like here. Uh, one thing that is also worth noting is in all of our flashback sequences, each character looks exactly the same as they did, as they do in real time. Um, so it's a little bit hard for me to place the characters when we do do the flashbacks. I don't think that they do a lot of work to show you any passage of time. That being said, Oscar, he gets locked away for a while and then he comes back out. In episode like three and four is when we're really playing with whether or not Oscar is going to be a threat here. He is uh, played up early on as being like our number one suspect, at least from the viewer perspective, uh, of being the killer potentially here. 
but his name gets cleared up pretty quickly. I felt like the whole time, you know, they were keeping him around and he wasn't really doing much at this point. I hope that the only reason we brought this character in isn't just to be a, a quick red herring because I don't think that he brings much to the table as a romantic option for Selena Gomez's character. Um, he does have this side plot going on that he is trying to get his, he's working with a lawyer to get his name officially cleared, which, uh, w- which is all due to the efforts of the podcast that they actually have enough grounding to move forward with that. But I mean, as interesting as that is, I just am not really getting much reason why Oscar needs to be in the fold in this very moment. So I'm hoping in season two, they step his character up a little bit. I was actually suspicious of him even after they kind of confirmed that he wasn't the killer. I thought that we might uh, loop back and see that he was going to end up being the killer just because I didn't I didn't know why we were still keeping this character around. He doesn't even bring anything to the table in the way of comedy. So um, I do think he's a cute uh, boyfriend for Selena Gomez's character. I think Mabel and him work really well. But besides that, uh, I'm not sure what we're doing with this character. So hopefully we get to step it up with Oscar next time around. Now, to transition into some of the things that I really just loved about the show, and, and I've realized at this point, all the only things I've critiqued are the fact that we don't get enough of the characters, of these side characters that I really like. That's a great problem to have for a show. Like, literally, the only things that I'm complaining about at this point are that there are certain characters that we didn't get enough of. So, um, speaking of characters we didn't get enough of, one character who really just steals the show in the final episode is our Jan character. She is the romantic foil to Steve Martin's character, Brazos. Uh, You might know this actress. Her name is Amy Ryan. She was on The Office is the role that I know her most for. She plays Michael Scott's uh, romantic interest there. And I'm starting to think that this actress, Amy Ryan, just does a great job of making you fall in love with her as a potential girlfriend. Every time that she is played up as a romantic foil for someone, she just fits, seems like a perfect fit, you know, uh, for that other character. Perhaps she just does a great job of molding into the ideal girlfriend version for anyone. That being said, her character probably gets, of any of the side characters, anyone outside of our main three, she gets the absolute most to do. Uh, from her introductions in episode two or three, I'm not quite sure which one as this just charming girl next door bassoonist player. Even she works on so many different levels. So the girl next door, check. She kills that, knocks it out of the park. The girlfriend who is balancing her dynamic between her new boyfriend and uh a budding a budding uh animosity between the boyfriend's friends, that works really well too. There's a lot of humor that works there. Check. Um <laughs> Uh, when even when she's joining the team a little bit and is trying to, um, uh, you know, weigh in and give little suggestions, I guess later on that's revealed to be red herrings that she's dropping for them. However, uh, that dynamic that she plays into with the larger group, check again. And of course, her final checkbox is when she is revealed to be the sadistic killer. <laughs> she's the one behind everything. And when we get this reveal, she turns into like a twisted evil genius who is reveling in her plot being uh, revealed. She loves that someone found it out. This this is someone who clearly has killed in the past, guys. I don't think that her first killings have happened just here in the Arconian. I think that Amy Ryan is just so well cast in this role. And, and 
her character is so scary. This is somebody who is willing to poison a dog, poison people, kill people, and stab herself just to... Uh, well, certainly she's throwing the investigation off its tracks by doing these things, but also I think that she's playing with them. Uh, she's certainly, she's more than capable enough to pull off these murders and not be found out. But what she really does is she she pushes the envelope even further and just plays with these characters. She's another character that I really hope that we get to see more of in season two. I don't know how exactly we would get more of her. Uh, one thing I'm thinking, because the end of season one, our main three is arrested and sent off to jail or prison. I'm not quite sure. But assumably, that's where the Dimas family is as well, right? And and we definitely saw that she was arrested and sent there, too. And these are all all these characters are arrested under the pretense that they were murderers, right? So I think it would be cool if in season two, we opened up to perhaps being our... In, our new building is not the Arconium, but rather a jail building. And we we get to play with the mur- with a mystery plot that's happening there. It would be a cheesy way, but a way that would be okay with me to reintroduce the characters into the fold. Because I think each, each and every one of them have so much energy in life. I don't doubt the show's ability to be able to introduce new characters in the building and me like them just as much. But I'm greedy. I want to see these characters again in season two as well. Now that I've talked a good bit about the characters in the series, I really want to dive into the plot now. It's not something I've really talked too heavily about at this point. Now, like any good murder mystery or any whodunit story, uh, this story has a lot of red herrings. And if you look at this on paper, it's like every episode we're just getting introduced to someone who in the next episode we find out didn't do it. Um, and on paper, that I think that this could be looked at as a bad thing. Uh, one thing I don't like in media is when you cannot possibly guess what the answer is going to be. And that's kind of the case here. You know, you just don't have enough of the story to make any kind of accurate guesses. And I think that a mystery is always uh, is always utilized better when you can, when it's possible for the viewer to have seen the reading on the wall early on or have made some kind of predictions to lead, to lead towards it. While I don't think that that is present here, I think that there is almost no way to guess where the story is going here because they only give you a little bit of information at a time. Now that I'm thinking about it, that actually feels like you're consuming a murder mystery podcast. So you, you, of course, you if in the format of a podcast, of course, you shouldn't be able to guess it because they need you to keep coming back for the next episode. So if, if that's what they're going for there, it's certainly well done. Um but I was going to say, it's actually to the credit of the show that, that this isn't more of a glaring problem for me. I typically find it hard to be engaged in, in a piece of media that, that is only giving you information when you need it. You know, I, I, like, I like to have a little bit more guessing ability or at least the opportunity to guess at what the ending's going to be whenever it is a mystery like this. But that doesn't happen with this show. And frankly, they don't need it. I think that it's a credit to, again, the chemistry of the actors uh, the comedic performances and the overall energy of the show that uh, keeps it going and keeps you coming back for more without, w- while only giving you nuggets of information. One pit stop I'd like to talk about is the episode that is completely silent. The, this episode opens from the point of view of our Theo Dimas character. Like many episodes, when we're really introduced to a character, we get that narration, like I mentioned before that lets you in on their on their life. Um, 
And the Theo Dimas character, I didn't think that him as a particular character was all that interesting, but using him as an excuse to have this entire episode completely silent. So from the deaf perspective, I guess you can say, was a really strong choice. It was really jarring at first, especially because the show has such like a musicality to its rhythm and how they deliver their jokes. Um, so yeah, it was certainly jarring at first, but it definitely worked for me. By by minute four of the episode, I'm not even noticing that I'm that this is all silent or you know, uh, when we're with the when we're with the characters that can sign language, there you know you're just looking at the subtitles pretty much, and maybe it's because I've watched a lot of anime in my life, but I really didn't have a problem keeping up with the with the plot like that at all. In fact, it was pretty seamless for me to make the transition. But what was really cool was the scenes that we still get plenty of scenes with our main characters here, even though the episode has no vocal dialogue whatsoever. Uh, all the actors are able to still bring that emotion and convey all that just mainly in their facial acting and thing as well is is how we can still effectively give all the storytelling that we need. This was actually one of the episodes that had more reveals than most. Um <laughs> So they were they were able to pull it all off without any spoken dialogue at all throughout the episode. So, I mean, really, really great job. I've seen this done in a couple other shows. Master of None has a really good episode that does it, that has an episode that's from the point of view of characters who are deaf. And uh, I actually think this show does a much better job of, of delivering, not a bottle episode, because the plot certainly is progressed in this episode, but... Uh, a reprieve episode that feels very different than the rest. As we start to wrap things up here, guys, I really want to spend some time talking about the final two episodes, which I think are the best episodes of the entire series. One thing that gets introduced right towards the end here is Jane Lynch comes in as as Steve Martin's uh, stunt double. Uh, they've worked together in the past. And she's mainly used... She kind of... Not only is she absolutely hilarious this is some of like the funniest stuff i've seen out of jane lynch uh but so she's used to great comedic effect just in terms of physically mirroring our character and kind of one-upping him here and there they play off each other so well and i think that it was certainly a weird choice to bring her in here uh when they did like in the last minute but she works super well that you know and she's just so funny that you can't fault you can't fault the show for it at all because she's because She's such a delightful introduction into the series. I think what else that this character does is kind of skyrocket our Brazos character into an emotional place to really stick the landing at the end here. Um, because that her character is so intrinsically involved with our Brazos character, uh, it it, her, her coming into the fold mainly just skyrockets his character development. So I think that that's mainly why that she came in here when she did, but... She worked so well for me. All the gags that they had with her and everyone thinking that she was literally Brazos was just so hilarious. What might have been one of the stronger scenes in the entire series is right before we find out that the Jan character is the true killer, uh, are, are the Mabel and Oliver Putnam have already kind of figured this out. This is already where they're leaning towards. And they try to give our character Brazos a warning about it before, you know, hopefully she doesn't kill him or anything. Um, and so he, he, we get a big dialogue scene, very dialogue heavy between the two, the two people in their relationship. This is Brazos and Jan. And the whole time he's basically professing his love to her. And we think, Oh no, Oh no, she's going to get him too. 
you know, he's falling right for her trap here. Um, she's fooled him, you know. He's gotten hoodwinked by her because he's the one who fell in love with her. He fell in love with the killer, you know. But it, it's revealed that he's really just been pulling one over her the whole time. He's had his phone recording. He basically got a confession out of her, a full confession at that. And this was a really great moment for the Brazos character. Uh, there's Leading up to this point, he's been doubting himself the whole time. He takes such a back seat. He's never really wanting to do any actions. You know, He wants to just take the information and take our time. He's never a man of action. But clearly in this episode, he takes the warning of his friends and he takes it to heart and he acts on it immediately and he kind of entraps her in this big trap. And he's not afraid, you know, this whole time that we're getting, he's learning the fact that his his girlfriend is a killer and has been fooling him this whole time. His nose isn't bleeding. So, uh, and we, we were shown that this character, every time he gets a lot of anxiety, he gets a spontaneous nosebleed. Um, a weird, a weird character trait to give him, but it, it definitely helps us uh, later on. But he's not; he doesn't have the nosebleed in this moment. So you know that when he when he's having this interaction with her, he's on firm footing. You know, he he's progressed into a character who does believe in himself, who knows that he's capable of doing great things here. So I I thought that that was really nice. And honestly, the way that they kind of wrapped the plots up here, I think that he has become kind of the de facto main character, the cornerstone emotional character for the series, if you will. And guys, I got to talk about this elevator scene. <laughs> there's there's a, there's about five minutes in the final episode where all of our characters are just missing each other. Jan goes into the elevator, and as soon as she goes up, uh, Mabel and Oliver Putnam come back out, and they're looking for Brazos, and Brazos goes just in once they're out. And they're really just missing each other on uh, all these elevators going up and down, in and out. And I thought that this was so funny. It's just a visual gag. And it honestly harkens back to Scooby-Doo. You know, I compared the series to Scooby-Doo earlier. You know, the band of misfits going on adventures solving mysteries. But this is such a classic Scooby-Doo scene when they're in, in Scooby-Doo, they would be in a hallway going in and out of doors trying to chase the killer. But of course, getting all mixed up and jambled along the way. I thought this was the scene. I almost think that this scene was giving reference to Scooby-Doo as I think that the entire series feels like a big Scooby-Doo murder mystery. So uh, I think I really love that scene. I thought it was hilarious. One other thing that I cannot go unmentioned, uh, I, I alluded to this early in the review and I wanted to talk about it more throughout, but I kind of forgot to, is the master usage of surrealism in the show. There are these weird interpretive scenes, mainly from Oliver Putman's point of view, but each character does get a moment of this, of where they're just basically imagining something that's not really going on. These are very metaphorical scenes. There's one that comes to mind when Oliver, he's walking up these like weird stairs and then he like falls to the ground, but then bounces off of the ground back onto the top of the stairs. Um, this is a moment where he's really excited about the potential of a new podcast that he's starting and everything. And what it's communicating to the audience, at least from my perspective, is that uh, he's he's got a newfound optimism, you know, he's got a pep in his step. And it's kind of like if you would see a Ch Charlie in the Willy Wonka factory character after he's got his gold ticket and is skipping around. He's very uh, light footed in this moment. So I think that that's what's being communicated here. I'm not going to lie. These moments kind of go over my head more than they don't. Uh <laughs> That being said, visually, they're, they're great on screen, and 
it's just another another column where the show is really firing and doing an amazing job and standing out amongst other shows are these weird surrealist moments that are giving you more about the characters. All right, everyone, that's just about it. That is going to bring our conversation here to a close. Um, in closing, though, I would just like to say Only Murders in the Building, fantastic watch. I think that it's a master class on comedy, on drama, on writing, and on on mysteries. I, I don't think I've, I've watched something that had this much of a good mystery uh, kept me on my toes. Uh, I didn't guess who was going to be the killer in the end, which a lot of shows like this, they're kind of easy to predict where they're going, especially at least halfway through. But this one had me on my toes the whole time. So kudos to you guys. I thought that I just thought it was really amazing. And this is definitely uh, a great series on Hulu that I think will propel the streaming service up a bit here. Ahead and give this one a 9.5 out of 10. I don't think that it's a perfect series by any means. There are a couple moments that certainly could have been tightened up a little bit or a couple of plot threads that I think they're saving for season two that they could have done a slightly better job at setting up. Uh, but overall, a great cast, a great ensemble. I love the world that they set up. Uh, they build the world in every episode, and I really want to spend time in it. it it's, it's real. It is New York, but at the same time, it feels kind of like you're watching a cartoon because we have all these zany, hilarious characters in the building I can't wait to to meet more of them, and I can't wait to spend more time with these characters. Guys, thank you so much for giving this a listen. My name is Darius Cook, as always. This has been a, another podcast show, review, discussion, recap, whatever we're going to call it. This was Only Murders in the Building. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.